Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Holy Spirit, come and give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, friends. Have a seat. Happy Good Shepherd Sunday. Thank you. And also with you. Did you know that in the 1970s, something changed in our language in the American church? We stopped talking about Christian ministry, and we started talking about Christian leadership. A lot of the Christian leaders of the time started reading books by the the big CEOs of America, and then they started writing their own leadership books and calling it Christian leadership. And then, sometime later, somebody coined the phrase servant leadership because we needed to remember that leadership is about serving others. But we missed the point. Even though it was meant well, we stopped referring to our clergy as servants and shepherds, and we started calling them leaders. And the problem with that shift is that it accidentally displaced the New Testament weight of weakness out in front in service to others, and it exchanged it for this pagan idea of leadership for the sake of power and influence And control. You need power to serve people, so the church said. And in the immediate context of our passage this morning in John 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's responding to the spiritual leaders of his time, what the New Testament called rulers, if that's any indication. These these folks have sought to murder a woman caught in adultery, And then, just recently in John 9, they have violently and cruelly thrown out a man who was formerly blind that Jesus had just healed. And so Jesus looks at their style of leadership, which was exercising religious power over the people that they were supposed to care for. He looks at them and he says, you're the blind ones. In our passage this morning, in John 10, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 15. John chapter 10, 1 to 15. You can find that on page 896 in the Bibles in front of you. And while you're turning there, I'll set the stage for what we're about to read. So in our passage, in John 10, Jesus launches into this rebuke of the religious leaders of the time, and he uses Yahweh's rebuke of the shepherds of Israel, which we just read from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 was ringing in their ears when Jesus was speaking to them in John 10, where God says, You shepherds of Israel, you've taken the wool and clothed yourselves and slaughtered the sheep instead of feeding them. The weak you haven't strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, the injured you haven't bound up, you haven't sought the stray and brought them back. And with force and harshness you have ruled them, you have thrown them out of the temple. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And then God says, I am against 
these shepherds. I myself will rescue the sheep. I myself will search for them and find them. And so Jesus invokes this passage against them. You see, the problem with our love affair of leadership in America is that you don't have to live very long to experience someone or hear of someone who has made their role of leadership a self-serving project to gain more power or control. And so it's in this context that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd precisely because my project is to self-sacrifice. My project is to lay down my life for my sheep. So Jesus uses Ezekiel 34 to show them how they are false shepherds. The shepherds that God says he is against in no uncertain terms. They have no claim to the sheep of Israel. They're illegitimate shepherds, which is to say that they are these robbers and thieves and hired hands. They climb in over the wall to get to the sheep instead of being seen by the gatekeeper and let in. Jesus enters by the door. And then later in verse 9, he doubles down and says, I am the door. And so you've likely heard that Near Eastern shepherds would, would lay down in front of the sheep pen, in the doorway, and they would become the door. Because if there was a predator, the predator would have to go through the body of the shepherd to get to the sheep. And whereas the sheep don't know the voice of these false shepherds and they actually flee from them, the sheep hear and follow Jesus' voice. And it's common knowledge that these Near Eastern shepherds would have calls for their sheep that only their sheep would respond to. But Jesus goes further. And he says, I call my sheep by name. Whereas these false shepherds run from the wolves, Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep. These rulers are like thieves and robbers who come to take, to take sheep, to take life. But Jesus says, I have come to give my own life, that you may have life. And I would argue that this idea of life is at the center of this figure of speech of shepherds and sheep that Jesus is using. So how is this good news? And what does it mean to follow Jesus as the good shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd because he cares more about you than he does himself. And if that's true, he says you can never be taken out of his hand. And from that, following Jesus as the good shepherd means a few things. Before anything else, it means that you actually have to admit that you're a sheep. Being called a sheep is not a flattering idea. So we recently... uh, got these nine baby chickens at our house, and we've been raising them with help of friends. And just recently, we put them in the chicken coop. And they told us, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out. They kind of do this on their own. Chickens just know that when, it's, when the sun goes down, it's time to, go to, time to go to bed in the coop. And they just started doing it, to my amazement. I thought we were going to get the chickens that didn't know what to do. But they, they just went in there. They knew where to go at home, at at bedtime. Or if we had horses, 
if a horse gets out of its pen, it'll either go wild or it'll know how to get home. But not so with sheep. Sheep just wander and get themselves super duper lost. Without a farmer or without us at home, a chicken or a horse can go home. Without a shepherd, a sheep dies. Shepherds are always caring for their dumb, forgetful, wandering sheep. Like me. Like you. And we have to admit that we are often dumb, forgetful, wandering sheep ourselves. Sheep are foolish animals. And so the picture of wandering sheep is often a picture of sin, of being wayward, of ceasing to follow and hear the shepherd's voice. Sheep like you and me are sinful and we're forgetful creatures. We intentionally run away and get caught in thorns. And we run away again and get caught in the same thorns. We are weak and frail and defenseless without a shepherd. We're slow and we're dumb. And we can't see what the shepherd sees. And so we wander off out of the good green country that God has prepared for us. And we wander off into dark valleys. Because we're sinful. But I should also note that there's also a sense in which sheep are hunted and harmed and scattered. As Christians, we have categories for the sins that we commit and for the sins that are committed against us. We are sinners and sufferers at the same time. And it's very likely that everyone in this room has at the very least been disappointed by some shepherd in their life. And some of us have been harmed by the shepherds in our past. We read the stories in the news. It makes us righteously angry. And if we're honest, it makes us bitter over time. But Jesus, the good shepherd, does not inflict violence. He absorbs violence on your behalf. Any shepherd that inflicts harm is a false shepherd and God has already said he is against them. So maybe, maybe you've heard preachers before use this analogy when they're talking about sheep or Psalm 23 or, or whatever it is, that when sheep wander off, the shepherd being a good shepherd will go and find them and then break their legs so that they can't run away anymore. And then he picks them up and takes them home. Can you imagine a sheepfold full of maimed sheep? It makes no sense. It's the silliest thing I've ever heard. It's not true. That analogy is not true. The good shepherd's staff has never and will never be intended to inflict violence on his sheep. It was used to protect them from predators, and the crook of it was used to rescue them. So we don't ever see Jesus inflicting harm on his sheep that run away. Rather, what we see is that he leaves the 99 and he seeks the one and he picks it up and he carries it back home and he throws a party like he throws a party for the prodigal son. Jesus is against those false shepherds who inflict harm. But he throws lavish parties 
when he brings one of them back home. If you're breathing, you are a wayward sheep. But it doesn't matter how lost you are, you cannot be lost from him. You have to admit that you are a sheep. And that's a good thing. Because being a sheep means that you're in the sheepfold. And that's where you want to be. But being a sheep also means that Jesus, the good shepherd, has a claim on your whole life. Tim Keller says, We like the sound of being little lambs, but we hate the truth of it. And so he uses this analogy of his extensive experience of being a pastor that a lot of times people would come to him and they would say, you know, I've been asking Jesus to help me in my career. I've hit a dead end. I can't get any further. And as he talks more and more, he finds out that they've, they've prayed, God, help me in my career. But, you know, don't look at my love life. Or the other way around, people come to him over his career and have said, I'm lonely. I want to I get married. And they would pray and ask God to help them find someone. But they didn't want Jesus looking into how they spent their money. Jesus, as the good shepherd, has a claim on our whole life. And that raises the question, what does it mean to live moment by moment with God as your shepherd instead of your own personal consultant? Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. Living with Jesus as your good shepherd means returning to him again and again. It means being found by him over and over and over and over again. Thomas Merton once prayed, Good shepherd, you have wild and crazy sheep in love with thorns and brambles, but please don't get tired of looking for me. I know you won't, for you have found me. God grieves our sin, but he never tires. He rejoices, actually, to find us. Jesus is the patient, faithful, good shepherd of Ezekiel 34, who says, I will be their shepherd. I will seek them out. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And I will rescue my flock. But if we're just dumb sheep, why is Jesus so invested in being our shepherd? It's because his sheep are his treasure. You are God's treasure. Jesus being the good shepherd isn't just about what he does for us, provides for us, guides us, leads us. It's about more than just that. It's about how he feels about you. You ever thought about how God feels about you? He knows you all the way down. And he loves you more than you could ever dream. The way it's famously been said is, you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, you are more loved in Christ than you ever dared hope. You, who you are right now. Not you 15 years from now. Not you when you've gotten your act together. Right now. You are God's treasure. So think back with me to Resurrection Sunday. So, Mary goes to the tomb. 
and she sees that Jesus' body is gone, and she sees a man who might be gardening. And she says, you know, tell us where they've taken him. And Jesus, being the gardener of the resurrection, looks at her, and he says, Mary, the risen Jesus calls you by name, and he leads you into green pastures. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. And Jesus lays down his life for yours because you are his treasure. There's no other way. Which brings me back to my original point. Jesus is the good shepherd because he cares more about you than he does himself. How can I say that? Because he puts himself his very own life before you. He values the life of his sheep over his own. You are loved by God more than God loves his own life. Let that sit. You are loved by God more than God loves his own life. Knowing everything about you, Knowing what no one else does, he still values your life over his. Not because you're some lovely thing, but because he loves you. He would rather lose his glory and his honor and his crown rather than lose you. It almost sounds too good to be true, but it's too good not to be true. And so the greatest picture that we have of Jesus' love for us is that he lays down his life for us. In the Greek, it says that he lays down his life in place of our life. He died so that he could give us life and life abundantly, it says. But that doesn't mean luxury. It means a lot more than living a cushy life. So one of my favorite things about the Gospel of John is that, Jesus, that, is that John is highlighting in Jesus' ministry this connection, this relationship and intimacy that he has with the Father in the Trinity, and he's saying that Jesus is giving us that same life. Over and over again, John's making that case. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as, or in the same way as, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The love of and divine life that Jesus has with the Father, he gives to us today, right now. He lays down his life for us, and he doesn't just forgive us of our sins, even though that's miraculous enough. He does that. But he also gives us the divine life that he shares in the Trinity with the Father. And that turns nominal understandings of Christianity upside down. We have the divine life that Jesus has with the Father in the Trinity before the creation of the world. And so earlier, Jesus starts off by saying he enters by the door. And then he, uh, he mixes his metaphor a little bit. And he says, I, actually, I am the door. And so if you're somebody who uh, doesn't like your mashed potatoes touching your green beans at Thanksgiving, you might cringe a little bit at Jesus mixing the metaphor. But think back to Psalm 23. King David also mixes his metaphor. Okay, so it starts out, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All, all the sheep stuff. But then it changes. You prepare a table before me and anoint my head and my cup overflows. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He changes from a sheep to a friend. Food is such a sacramental thing, isn't it? The image of the Lord's table isn't only that he shed his blood for you, which he did. It's also that he welcomes you and he meets you at his table as his friend. So be friends with each other as Christ is friends with you. And don't say stuff like, let me know how I can help you this week. Nobody's ever taken anybody up on that. Say, I'm bringing you a meal this week. What day works best? And then don't take no for an answer. And don't be the person who says, no, I don't, I don't, I'm good. We're, we're, we're fine. Thank you. Don't do that. We are God's friend. And because of that, we are friends together in him. Join a community group and see for yourself what God does with spiritual friendship in your life. Okay, that was for free. How can we follow Jesus as the good shepherd? We admit we're sheep. We return to him again and again, and we're found by him again and again. We have and we share this divine life that Jesus shares with us. But there's one last thing. We become shepherds ourselves. Tim Keller said, God becomes a lamb to make his sheep become shepherds. And he doesn't mean you have to become a priest. So in Mark 6, if you think back to Mark 6, uh, Jesus goes to Nazareth and he's rejected. And then he sends out his 12, his 12 apostles. And he sends them out with nothing but the clothes on their back and a staff. And that word for staff can either be a regular staff or it was often used as a shepherd's staff. The only people in the history of redemption, in the story of Scripture, who go out with nothing but a staff are prophets and shepherds. Athanasius said, God became what we are to make us what he is. And so here's my plea. The children of this church need you to be their shepherd. They need it from you. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a master's in education. Though, if you do have those things, I'd love to talk to you. But if you don't need those things, you just need to follow your good shepherd and want others to follow him too, no matter how young they are. So last year, I, I started reading some books by some shepherds in the UK. They, they're writing their memoirs of being shepherds. And in this book I've been reading recently called The Shepherd's Life, he introduces this concept that's central to English shepherding called hefting. I had never heard that word in this context before. But hefting is this idea of caring for sheep in such a way that they become accustomed and acclimated to their shepherd and to the land 
that they're grazed on, but in such a way that the older sheep begin to teach the younger sheep where to go and how to live and how to thrive. This word apparently comes from the Old Norse, which means tradition, carrying something through generation after generation. And so, if you're a member of this church, if you call this church your home, you've probably taken the baptismal vows with us. And it says, Will all of you who witness these vows do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ? And then we all say, We will. You remember, please hear me. In the sacrament of baptism, there is no such thing as other people's kids. It's not possible. These children in our church need you to follow your good shepherd. They need you to trust that he lays down his life for you and that he finds you over and over again. And they need you to follow him and be a shepherd to them. Not a perfect shepherd, just a faithful, older presence teaching them what life in Jesus looks like. My kids are your kids. We have the same kids in this room. We share them. We belong to another. So that's why next Sunday, on May 7th, we're doing this big kids kickoff. We're going to show you all the cool things that we've been doing under the radar. You can come. There's going to be lunch on the lawn. It's going to be like a block party. We want you to come upstairs in Wellbrock Hall and come see what we're doing. We want to plant our flag as a church and say that we are a church that cares and loves for children and wants to shepherd them. And I need you to join us in that. Our children's ministry is not going to thrive without you. Spiritual moms and dads, spiritual grandpas and grandmas, sisters and brothers. And I'll be there next week to answer any questions you have. So, this week, pray and ask your good shepherd if he wants you to be involved in their lives. This week, look to the good shepherd, and every time you wander is another opportunity to come back and be found again. Amen?